Well, this morning we have the joy and privilege of opening up our Bibles again, yet not to Ephesians. We're, we're extending our brief break in our series in Ephesians. Last week was a Christmas sermon. This week, I'm going to have you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter 5. Verses 1 through 5. Si habla español, si habla español abran sus Biblias al li, el libro de Primero Pedro, capítulo 5, versículos 1 a 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. We have extras under the chairs of the center aisle. Or you could just open up your phone's browser uh, and search 1 Peter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 in the ESV version in English. Now this is... This is a very special Sunday. We're, we're, we're taking this break intentionally. And this is one of those rare Sundays where the preaching of God's Word, it's, it's more of a family meeting. If you're a guest, you're, you're welcome to sit in and, and learn. And, and actually, if, if you're a member of another church, this is great information to, to go back to your church and, and encourage your pastors and, and know what to expect as far as biblically faithful pastoring. If you're, if you're not a member of a church, this is helpful to know what to expect as you're seeking a home church. But this morning, I'll be addressing very specifically the members of Cross of Grace Church. And the reason why is because today is, is a special occasion. It's, it's a passing of the baton of sorts. As of tomorrow... Jeff Schleter will take on the role of senior pastor of this church, a role that I've been fulfilling for the past six-plus years. And if you're going, what? Uh, we announced this uh, about a month ago. It's, it's on the blog. Members, you'll be receiving a letter if it's not already in your inbox uh, answering a bunch of the questions. But the, the long story short is that this is a good transition. This is a reflection of what we believe the Lord is doing to grow this church and to continue to advance the mission. I'm still going to be a pastor of this church, yet in an associate capacity, as the pastoral team looks to Jeff as the senior, as the first among equals. And so today is a, it's a family discussion intended to remind us all of what we should expect of the pastors of Cross of Grace Church of Santa Ana. And, and I'll give the big takeaway from this sermon up front. Here's the big takeaway. If you're taking notes, and this would actually be a good sermon to take, to take notes. They're all good sermons to take notes from. But you're, there's some good biblical handles in here, some good references in Scripture that are good to, to write down. But if you're taking notes, here's the big takeaway right up front. You should have high expectations of your pastors. Formed by the Bible that are met with a biblical response. Let me say that again. You should have high expectations of your pastors. Expectations that are formed by the Bible and expectations that are met with a biblical response. So the aim of this sermon today, one, this is sort of, this is a formal moment where we're reminding as a church, we're reminding Jeff of his role as he takes on this senior pastor role. But we're also reminding the whole pastoral team, that's me and Jeff and soon-to-be Jason, as he will, Lord willing, be ordained on the 21st in just three weeks as the third pastor of this church, to remind us all of the call that God has placed on us. But not only that, to remind you of, of the role that you should expect of us and hold us accountable to. But not only that, to remind you of what kind of response you should expect from yourself as we live life together in the church. So that's where we're going today. And we have two points to, to guide the, the rest of this sermon. And it's very simple. One, what you should expect of your pastors. Two, what you should expect of yourselves. And the first point will take up 90% of this sermon. Second point, just a little bit at the very end. And this will be... A little bit of a long sermon, so just get to sort of measure your expectations. I've already told the children's ministry uh, workers that this may go about 10 minutes longer than, than usual. So I want to respect your time, but also this is, this is very important. 
it's very important that we remind ourselves regularly of, of what God has called us to in the life of the church. So with that, looking down at 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 5, Peter writes to the churches in the Roman Empire. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elder. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for what you have been teaching us through the book of Ephesians about what you've created in the church, in Christ. Now help us to, to understand and to be reminded of our conduct toward one another as fellow members of the church, as pastors and, and members, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you would help our expectations to be defined and measured by what your word says not by our feelings and perceptions and opinions. Would you grant us humility by your Spirit to allow your word to find rich soil as it lands upon our heart? And would it bear fruit in us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Peter, he's giving a charge. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. It's a, it's a solemn charge to elders. In, in the original Greek, the word elders that you see there in your Bible, it's the Greek word presbyteros. Okay, that word, it appears 66 times in the New Testament. And in some other English translations, presbyteros, it's translated as, as presbyter. In some denominations, they, they would see it as that. Or, or as pastor. And, and some churches and some traditions see elder and pastor and presbyter as different opposites. Some churches would have elders and pastors serving in different roles, but the Bible uses those terms synonymously. Presbyter, pastor, elder, overseer, these are synonymous roles. There is one office in view here. So whether you, whether you call them elders, presbyters, pastors, overseers, there's one office in mind. And for the, sake of, for the sake of consistency in our context here at Cross of Grace Santa Ana, we'll be using the term pastor for the remaining, remainder of our time. But you could, you could say elder, and it would be just as fine. But why? Why is Peter giving this charge here in chapter 5 to these elders? reason why is because in chapter 4, in the latter part of chapter 3, Peter is instructing these churches, the members of these churches in Rome, to live for Christ in the face of certain opposition and certain suffering. He is saying, you will be persecuted for you. He's saying, you, you will suffer. Life will be hard. You will face opposition from within and from without. And, and author David Wheaton says that people undergoing the experiences and faced with the challenges of chapter 4 will need wise and skillful leadership. 
If you, my, my friends and brothers and sisters here at Cross of Grace Church of Santa Ana, are going to persevere in spreading the joy of Jesus in Santa Ana for years to come, you're going to need wise and skillful leadership. If you're going to endure in looking to Christ as your hope in life and death, you're going to need wise and skillful leadership. If you're going to be able to resist temptations and, and, and endure through conflicts with one another and forgive and live at peace with one another and stay the course and stay together, you're going to need faithful pastors. And that's what Peter's saying here. How do you know? How do you know what a faithful pastor is? How do you know what to expect of a pastor? How do you know if Jeff is fulfilling his role as senior pastor? If I'm fulfilling my role as an associate pastor, if Jason, once he's ordained, is fulfilling his role as a pastor of this church? Are we expected to be managers? business leaders of this, of this enterprise, this 501c3 that's recognized by the United States government. Is that, is that how you're supposed to look to us? What you're supposed to expect of us? That we would manage a good business? How do you know what to expect of your pastors? Well, let's look to God's word to answer that for us. So first point today. What you should expect of a pastor. What you should ex- expect of a pastor, any pastor. Peter is personally giving a charge to these pastors. And, and look at this. He says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, so he's saying, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking totally from the outside as one who's unfamiliar with, with your role as pastors. I'm a fellow elder. But he also says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, which actually qualified him as an apostle, a unique office that, that was reserved to, to those who walked with Christ and saw his sufferings. He's saying to them, hey, I'm qualified to give this instruction from the Lord. But not only is he qualified to give this instruction with authority here, he's also, he's also saying this beside them. Not just from up above them, but beside them. Because look at this. At the end of verse 1, he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. In other words, he's in the same boat. He's headed in the same direction as them. And what does he charge these pastors with? It says here, verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What should you expect of each of your pastors? Answer, that he's a shepherd. That he's a shepherd. You should expect that your pastors are shepherds. Pastor C.J. Mahaney says that shepherd is the primary metaphor that God has chosen to describe and to define the role and responsibility of pastors, of elders, of overseers. Describe to me in one word what, what a pastor should be like. Shepherd. A manager? No. A shepherd. A, a, an executive? No. A shepherd. An administrator? No. A shepherd. A therapist? No. A shepherd. I'm pressed to ask myself, and every pastor should be, is this the primary metaphor that is influencing my understanding of my role in this church? Jeff, Jason, is this the primary metaphor that's influencing your understanding of your role in this church? Church, is this the primary metaphor influencing your expectations of your pastors in the church? It should be. 
It's God's design for, for care, for leadership, and the direction of his people. And it has been so, listen to this, from the beginning of redemptive history. This isn't a new thing. Just take a quick tour through the Bible with me. All the way back to Genesis 48. Shortly after Abraham, even before the Exodus, Jacob. Jacob, whom God renamed Israel, from whom the nation of Israel came forth. Jacob says, says and he blessed jo- Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, Jacob identifies God as his shepherd. God is the original shepherd of his people. And David famously, we we recited it this, this morning, David famously sings that song, that the Lord God is the shepherd of his people. He is the prototypical shepherd. But listen to this in 2 Samuel 5. When God is making his covenant with David, the king, the man after God's own heart. He says to David, you are going to be the shepherd of my people. 2 Samuel 5. God's own shepherding care is now going to be mediated through his appointed leader. And then, and then even beyond that, in Jeremiah 3, verses 15 through 17, through the prophet Jeremiah, God extends the shepherding function out beyond David and he promises them shepherds, plural, who will seek after God's own heart. God, through Jeremiah, says, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. So he's he's talking to, to Israel, who has strayed. Israel has strayed like straying sheep. And he says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. C.J. Mahaney remarks that this illustrates God's divine preference for human agency. In layman's terms, what, what this means is that God loves to work through people. He loves to use people as his instruments to do his good work. But, if God is the original shepherd and he has entrusted these people with the shepherding function, then those shepherds he chooses should model their shepherding off of him. A good shepherd is one who seeks what the owner seeks and does what the owner does. A good shepherd is is one who doesn't just do his own thing. He looks to the original shepherd. But that's not what these shepherds did. God says, Israel, I will give you shepherds. And then in Ezekiel 34, in Ezekiel 34, we find out that they've not done what the the owner would have them do. And and listen, if you live in 2023 in a concrete jungle, and and you're you're going, yeah, shepherds, okay, primary metaphor, sounds good. I've never met a shepherd in my life. I have no idea what it what a shepherd should do, what a good shepherd is, what a bad shepherd is. You want to know what a bad shepherd is? Listen to Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6. Just listen with me. Write the reference down, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, but listen along. He says to these shepherds who have gone their own way and and shepherded how they want, he says through Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with their wool, you slaughter the fat sheep, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no 
and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And you hear God's righteous anger at his unfaithful shepherds in that, don't you? They should have been feeding the sheep, but they were benefiting off the sheep at the cost of the sheep. They should have been healing, but they were hurting. They should have sought the lost, but they led the lost astray. They should have gently cared, but they harshly ruled. And God says, that is not the way. Here's God's mercy. That was verses 1 through 6. In verse 15 of that very same shepherd, or of that very same chapter, listen, he says to Israel, he says, they're unfaithful shepherds, but I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. So he's saying, I have been your shepherd of, of, of old, and I will once again be your shepherd. But then in verse 22, he says, I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be a prey and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. So God's saying, I will once again be your shepherd and I will send you one shepherd. I will send you a shepherd who is God himself who is from the line of David. And then as we just celebrated Christmas, right? Celebrated the birth of, of one Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of the line of David, who in John 10, once he began his ministry around the, the, the age of 30, he says to his disciples, what does he say? He says, I'm what? I'm a good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. And he surprises everybody. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He does not benefit at the cost of his sheep. He lays down his own life for the sheep. Finally, the shepherd after God's own heart has come. And he perfectly shepherded God's people. He was not harsh with them. He gently cared for them. He did not take their life. He did not seek his own comfort at the expense of their comfort. He suffered so they wouldn't suffer. He died in the place of the sheep who were going astray, and he gathered them to himself that everyone who comes to him would experience his tender care and never again experience that the dangers of the wilderness sin. And he died. And he died and he was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. And after rising again, he appeared to his disciples. And he appeared to the author of this book that we're just reading right here, Peter. And he sat down with Peter. The resurrected Jesus sat down with Peter and he said, Peter, in John 21, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I do. And Jesus says to him, then feed my lamb. And again, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, I do. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And again, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Peter, Shepherd my flock. The good shepherd has appeared. And he demonstrated his ability to be the one true good shepherd, to be the fulfillment of all God's prophecies of that one true shepherd. And then he takes that, that pastoral, that shepherding role, and he gives it to Peter and to all those who fulfill the office of pastor. Talk about a weighty role. This is no mere job description that a church throws out a position requisition for and hires the best candidate. 
Peter's writing of 1 Peter 5 was most definitely bearing this experience in view and is informed by the rich biblical theology of shepherding. So after this incredible background and redemptive storyline, what are we to conclude? This, Jeff, Jason, myself, as pastors, we are inheritors of the shepherding function of God himself. Which finds its highest expression in the Savior who is identified as the Good Shepherd, or as Peter identifies him here, as the Chief Shepherd. The Chief Shepherd to whom all other shepherds submit and look to as their example. So, church, you are not our people. This is not our church. You are Jesus' people. This is Jesus' church. You are those for whom Jesus died. He died for you. And you've been, and you've been temporarily entrusted to us. Why? So that we might direct you back to him over and over and over and over. That's our job. That's our job. It's to direct you back to the chief shepherd at every possible occasion. That's our role. You should expect your pastors to be shepherds. And as such, here's the second expectation. You should expect your pastors to behave like shepherds. So you should expect your pastors to be shepherds and to behave like shepherds. A good shepherd provides for, cares for, feeds, uh, protects, and guides his sheep. You should expect that behavior. But here in verses 2 through 4, look down at 1 Peter 5 with me. Peter reiterates some of those functions, but he goes deeper than outward behavior and outward outward outcomes. He addresses motives. He says, hey, pastors, your motives matter. Again, C.J. Mahaney says, it's possible to be diligent, competent, and faithful to the task and fail to glorify God and fail to serve the church effectively because your motivation is not pleasing to God, because your, your motivation is not right. So Peter identifies four motives here, three of them coupled with improper motives. So let's, let's go through these one by one. The first being, look at, look at verse 2, the, the, the second half of verse 2. It says, not under compulsion but willingly. Shepherding work is hard. (laughs) It's it's self-sacrificial by nature. Real-world shepherds, I have never met one, but I've been told and I've read that it's dirty. It involves long hours. It's physically taxing, and it requires tremendous skill. It's not an easy job. But the shepherd who works under compulsion, who just does it because he has to, that shepherd will not have enough motive. He will not have sufficient motive to go after that straying sheep who has strayed far. Will not have sufficient motive to, to sufficiently bind up the wounds of the injured sheep. Will not have sufficient motivation to strengthen the weak sheep will rather spend the time with the healthy sheep because they're easier to deal with. If a pastor's motive for pastoring is because God has called me to it, so I have to, probably shouldn't be a pastor. If a pastor's reluctant to take responsibility, he probably shouldn't be a pastor. If a pastor is committed to doing only the bare minimum, he probably shouldn't be a pastor. Why? Because the sheep are too precious. And the chief shepherd is too glorious. This work is too important to do the bare minimum. That's why the understanding of of the the majestic biblical background of shepherding is so important. The the word can also be translated as as voluntarily. or it, It means free and willful service. 
Pastoral ministry should be joyful. It should be glad. You should expect your pastors to be happy pastors. And this isn't just Peter's preference. Look at, look at verse 2 there. As God would have it. This is God's expectation of you, that you be a happy pastor. And, and, and listen, there's a difference between tired and weary and serving under compulsion. There's a difference there. But if that weariness goes unchecked, it can slowly and imperceptibly over time cause a pastor to lose sight of his glorious call. It can lead to a begrudging service that says, I'm doing it because I have to. So church, here's an application for you. If you ever see any one of us becoming weary, becoming, becoming tired and losing our joy, see your encouragement of your pastors as the role that you play in ensuring that this church remains healthy and focused on Jesus. I'm not just saying that so that I can be encouraged. No, no, no. You need joyful, willing pastors. None of us should settle for pastors who serve under compulsion. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This does not mean that pastors should not be paid. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5.18 says exactly the opposite, that a laborer deserves his wages and an ox shall be compensated as the ox treads out its grain. The, the, the laborer should be given what he needs in order to faithfully carry out his service. And, and, it, and this is really similar to real-world shepherds. You better believe that real-world shepherds are paid for what they do. They don't make much. And most pastors don't make much, usually just enough to live on. Shepherds are also not very highly regarded in, in the cultures that they work in. Their work is largely unseen as well. It's not, it's not lauded by many. In fact, they're regarded as some of the lowest of the low. Peter's point is that a pastor doesn't belong in ministry if his motive is what he can get out of ministry. Okay. And that's where Israel's faithless shepherds went wrong, isn't it? They sought to benefit from the sheep at the cost of the sheep. Once again, a flock led by these kinds of shepherds becomes an unhealthy flock and sheep start to die. They become scattered, scattered in the wilderness, exposed to every threat and danger. Now, it doesn't mean that a church can't choose to bless their pastors in unique or material ways. It's that those blessings can never be the motive to remain a pastor. So, Jeff, Jason, it's not about what we can get out of it. And I'm not just talking about, not talking about material, material gain. I'm talking about visibility, honor that positive, self-affirming feedback, the title, the respect. Those things can never be why we're doing this. And the lack of those things can never be a reason for our discontent. So church, if it ever looks like it is becoming that for any one of us ever or any of our future pastors, you have a right and responsibility to call us out. That should not fly in the church. Now, I'm not saying get up on a Sunday morning and call us out publicly before the church. Actually, the verse right after 1 Timothy 5.18, which says a laborer deserves his wages, 1 Timothy 5.19 and 20, gives the protocol for how a charge is to be brought against an elder on the evidence of two or three witnesses, pleading with him to repent if the, the pastor is in sin. And if he refuses, then it is brought publicly. There's an actual process for these things. And we're saying to you, we want you to hold us accountable. We're not above accountability. Because we're in this together. And listen to this. This is my last day as senior pastor today on this Sunday. 
Part of the reason I can so wholeheartedly recommend Jeff to the role of senior pastor is because he's not looking for the accolades of this new title. He wasn't asking for this. He wasn't looking to climb the ladder. I can't tell you how many times he said, hey, I have no horse in this race but to serve the church and to follow the chief shepherd. And that has been proven out by him time and time again. He's a man, and we believe Jason is a man as well, and I think you have affirmed this, that aren't about what they can get out of it. Praise God for that. Thirdly, thirdly, not domineering, but being examples. So, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Thirdly, not domineering, but being examples. Note this at the, at the front end of this. Peter says pastors shouldn't be domineering. But immediately after he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, what does he say? He says exercising oversight. Isn't that interesting? Oversight is authority. You're overseeing the flock. Authority is central to the role of pastor. But here's the thing. It's how that authority is exercised that matters. The church needs leadership. Needs those who are going to, to set a course. That, that, that is th- those who are going to ensure that the flock is protected. The church needs those who are going to make the big decisions and ensure those decisions align with God's will. Authority is necessary. How that authority is exercised is paramount. How? Not domineering. You know what domineering leadership is? It's leadership with personal prerogative. It's leadership that's seen as a personal right. Doing it the way I want to do it, how I want to do it, for the reasons I want to do it. It's not partial. There's another shepherd who exemplified this kind of non-domineering leadership. He, he, he's the shepherd who leads his sheep beside still waters when they're fearful. He's a shepherd who, who makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. Listen to the word there, makes. There's authority in there. He makes his sheep lie down in green pastures when they're, when they're anxious and when they're hungry. He's the shepherd who, who leads his straying sheep in paths of righteousness. Jesus, the good shepherd, he leads his people, but he is not harsh. He is not domineering. He's a servant of them. He is the first and original servant leader to the point of being the suffering servant for those he had come to lead. Jeff and Jason if we are going to lead and oversee like the good shepherd, this is going to require effort. It is going to require sacrifice and it's going to require patience. Not power. Not quick fixes. Not, not making a church culture and structures that are forced into what we want them to be. The opposite of harsh, domineering leadership is being examples. Isn't that interesting that the contrast to domineering is being examples? You would, you would think that he would say, not domineering, but gently, or something like that, right? He says, no, not domineering, but being examples. Here's the point. True servant leadership leads by example before leading with instructions and commands. True servant leadership seeks to model it before it commands it. True servant leadership does not ask anything of those that it leads without first being willing to walk in what it's asking people to walk in. Jeff, Jason, if you're tempted to be loud with your words, if I'm tempted to be loud with my words, we should first be loud with our example. 
Let that speak above everything. Church, to you, if our example, any of us, is ever causing any of you to stumble, you have the right and the responsibility to call us out on it for the sake of the health of the church. That is your role. And we expect that accountability. It's, it's, it's ominous and fearful <laughs> that I would say that, but we expect it. And it's good. Now, here's the thing. A pastor's example is never going to be perfect. Jeff's example will never be perfect. Mine will never be perfect. And Jason's will never be perfect. And any future pastors of this church, we won't find a perfect example. That's reserved for Jesus. And that's the point of the gospel is that he is perfect and he stood in our place and gave us his perfect righteousness. But if we are, if we are fellow sinners just like you, that's all the more reason for us to not be domineering. We've been temporarily entrusted with the role of caring for, for Jesus' flock. Not because we're better, but because that's the, the role that Jesus has given us. We're sinners just like you. At the end of the day, we're sheep right beside you. We're sheep right beside you. Last quote from him, but C.J. Mahaney says, Pastors are needy sheep, loved by the chief shepherd, called to temporarily care for the rest of his sheep. You want a functional definition of a pastor? That's it. Say it again. Pastors are needy sheep, loved by the chief shepherd, called to temporarily care for the rest of his sheep. If you're not a member of this church, you, if you go to church somewhere else, or you're looking for a home church, that's the kind of pastor you should be looking for. One who's constantly pointing people back to the church shepherd or to the chief shepherd, not to himself. Fourth motive. Last point of, of what you should expect of your pastors. You should expect that he is one who seeks a heavenly reward. So it's not, it's not entirely accurate to say that, that a pastor shouldn't be, in, shouldn't be in it for what he can get out of it. <laughs> but what he can get out of it can only come from God himself. And that is very important. Years ago, I was talking to another church planter who, at, at that point in time, the church that he was pastoring was about the, the age of our church. And I was on the cusp of moving to Santa Ana to, to, to plant this church. This, was, this church was still in, in the future as a possibility. And I said, I said, Chris, what keeps you going? I know this is hard, oftentimes discouraging work. And he said to me, you know what keeps me going when it gets really hard? He said, the knowledge that God has called me to this. Not, not that I've been called by God, but that God is the one who has called me. See the difference there? And among the reasons that that matters is that God is the sole author of the eternal. Any other reward that anybody ever gets, ever on earth, is temporary. Ever. Jeff Bezos' money is temporary. Jeff Goldblum's Academy Awards are temporary. Jeff Gordon's NASCAR wins are temporary. Jeff Schleter's reward... In all seriousness, is eternal. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And Peter's saying, hey, you elders, want that. That is the gain you should seek. And if your hunger for that ebbs, set your sights back on it and make that your aim. Make that what you desire. That day when you will be face to face with him again. James 1.21 calls this, calls this crown the crown of life. This is eternal life in Christ. Not, not, a, not a, a wreath of, of laurel leaves that, that fades away and withers. This is an eternal crown of life with Christ, and we will then, having been 
crowned with his crown of life, throw them back at his feet because he's the one who's worthy of all. He is our crown. He is our reward. We're doing this because he, he died for us. He bled for us. He gave himself to us. We have life in him. And one day we will be with him forever. He will be our treasure. And here's the best part about it. That reward is not just reserved for pastors. It's yours too. It's yours too. And that intensifies our desire for that reward because it's for everyone. We are, we are pastoring you, doing the best we can to lead and guide and protect you so that we all on that day receive that unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears again. That's what a pastor should keep in mind as his motive for perseverance and endurance in ministry. That's what the pastor should be keeping before you as your motive for endurance and perseverance in the Christian life. <laughs> I was talking to Jeff before the service, and I just said, man, prepping this sermon, I just keep, kept thinking to myself, who's equal to this task? I mean, who can, <laughs> who can really do this? And that's part of the point. It's that only Jesus can. He's our only hope. Our chief shepherd is the one that we're all looking to and going, Jesus, guide us to the end. So with that said, and like I said, we'll be very brief here. If what you should expect pastors to be is shepherds and, 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 and what you should expect them to, be, to behave like is shepherds, what kind of response should you expect of yourself? Second, second point, what you should expect of yourselves. And there are two things here in verse 5 of chapter 5. Peter says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the first thing you should expect of yourselves is to be subject to the elders. And this isn't self-serving, like, hey, listen to me. Remember, our authority is not one that's domineering. Not about us. Not for what we can gain. It's for the health of the church. And Peter notices, he addresses those who are younger. And he tells them to be subject to the elders. Does that mean that, that older church members are exempt from this command? Well, no. Hebrews 13, 17 says, says that this applies to all. It says, it says, submit to your elders. What's Peter saying here then? Well, he's highlighting something. He's highlighting that, that, that following authority tends to be harder for the younger generation in whatever time it is. That, that sort of independent spirit, that sort of I'm going to make my own way and blaze my own path is more characteristic of, of younger people wherever you are and whenever you are. And so Peter's saying, hey, I know, that's, I know that's your bent. I know you're just itching to get out of your shell. And I know your pastors aren't perfect. I know this. I'm one of them. And I know they can't be expected to be, to be perfect examples, but if they're faithful as shepherds, it's good and right to trust them as an expression of your trust of the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd. And as you do subject yourselves to our leadership, know that as those who have been entrusted by the chief shepherd with the, the shepherding function of God himself, that is not something we take lightly. Jeff, Jason, that's something that we should never take lightly. Second and final response you should expect from yourself is to clothe yourselves with humility. Now who does Peter say this one to? He says, clothe yourselves with humility all of you. And this, liter this literally means all of you, including the pastors. There's, there's this, this idea of, of subjecting ourselves and our interests to one another. Nobody setting himself or herself above anybody else as more important or better, but all subjecting ourselves to one another out of humility, acknowledging that there is one greater and it's not me. And it's not you. 
It's Jesus. And we live in his world, in his kingdom, and it is good. That's why the Bible says God opposes the proud. He gives grace to those who would see themselves in light of who Jesus is. Because at the end of the day, all of us, we're fellow sheep. We're sheep. And if you, th- this is an old and tired illustration, but if you know anything about sheep, sheep are not very smart. They're pretty stubborn. They're, they're not the most flattering creatures to be compared to. But that's who we are. So Jeff, as a fellow sheep and remaining a fellow shepherd, I formally pass to you the role of senior pastor of this church. Willingly. (laughs) Willingly. Eagerly, as a good example, and seeking a heavenly reward, shepherd the flock. As you have been the past couple years, but do so as a senior pastor of this church. And friends, I could not be more grateful that the Lord has supplied Jeff Schleter to serve in this capacity and for me to hand this baton to. Pray for him. Pray for all of us. Again, the role of pastor, it's equal in authority, but there's one that we look to as the first among equals to lead us. And as of tomorrow, that's Jeff. So church, you should have high expectations of all of your pastors informed by Scripture that are met with a response that's informed by Scripture as we await the return of the chief shepherd when we will all receive that unfading crown of Would you pray? Heavenly Father, God, who's equal to this task? Certainly not Jeff, certainly not me, certainly not Jason, but you've called us to this. We pray that you would give us the grace to honor you, not just in our output and our our external behavior and activities, but in our motives, what goes on in the quiet of our own hearts. Lord, I pray that the, the flock would be healthy as these weak under-shepherds pastor this church as fellow sheep. pray that you would give the church the, the courage and the ownership to call out unbiblical shepherding when it happens for the sake of the health of the church. And that we would all look to Christ and that day when we will be face to face with him and receive our crowns and then take them right off and cast them at his feet. In his name we pray.